Hello, everybody, and welcome. I am your host, Joe Karen. And I'm Chloe Holzinger. And you are listening to Talk Clean to Me. Today we are sitting down with Place Taylor, and the cool thing about Place Taylor is that they make such beautiful buildings. Like I was checking out the site, I want to go find some if you can tell me the ones nearby. These buildings look gorgeous, but that's not even the coolest things about these homes that Place Taylor makes. So we're sitting here with the founder, one of the founders, the founder. Uh, I was part of the founding team, part and of we'll, the f- we can go through that. Okay, yeah. cool. We'll hit that. Part of the founding team, and uh, if you could go ahead and uh, introduce yourself. Yeah, so I'm Declan Keefe. Uh, my current role is I'm the strategic director at Place Taylor, um, which the sort of basic meaning of that is that I oversee the three arms of the business and I sort of set the strategic direction uh, and the rudder of the ship, if you will, of where we're, where we're headed. Um, uh, I was here since the beginning, though I was not the founder. Originally, the, the founding uh, forefathers of this business were was a man named Simon Hare, and he hired me, and I was the bottom of the food chain. Um, I was literally, my first week was um, in the crevice of a building that was about three feet wide, removing trash. Moved up the ranks, and then when uh, Simon decided he was going to leave, uh, I bought the business from him. Cool. I'd like to uh, to start at the beginning, which is, what? so that core team, like what inspired you guys to start place Taylor like what was the what were the conditions what was the feeling what was the inspiration for that the realization that in the architecture and construction world there's such a uh, sort of ingrained controversy between architects and builders they're constantly butting heads and we thought it was so ironic because the origin of both professions was uh, the master builder which was one company or one person often even that would do those jobs together simultaneously and it wasn't that long ago that that was just how buildings got built. It was hmm. uh, one organization that would do it all. Um, and we've uh, sort of across industries been hyper-specializing. And we said, well, let's go against that. Let's create a company that does both architecture and construction in-house. And not only that, but let's create a company where all of the employees do both so that they fully have a understanding of what construction is and what design is from the ground up literally um how how we ended up where we ended up was the notion of questioning everything that was sort of core of who we were Mm -hmm. uh, and are actually is no matter what it was we we wanted to just ask the question why is it done this way and is there a different way we should be doing it cool so let's talk so tell us about what place taylor does and in your mind, what makes it most distinct? Like what sets you guys apart? I would say the one thing that's gotten us probably the most attention about uh, our company is energy efficiency and um, this extreme nature of how far we're pushing sustainability in our buildings. So um, really since the first building we built uh, in 2008, uh, we've been looking at uh, the standard called the Passive House Standard, which Mm -hmm. is an energy efficiency standard coming out of Germany. and a lot of other standards that are doing good work, but they're not focused enough on the thing that has the greatest carbon impact. Mm -hmm. And so typically our buildings are either net zero, uh, producing, you know, no carbon emissions on a net annual basis. Wow. um, 
or they are uh, net zero possible. So we'll build them such that if someone puts solar on the roof, they could offset all of their own energy. So a lot of things go into making that happen, but I'd say that's um, sort of a big category in of itself. And then um, I would say there's it's the cooperative model. So the cooperative model of the business that also makes us unique. One, it gives opportunity to people who are part of the business to potentially be owners uh, in an industry where maybe they would never otherwise have an opportunity to be an owner of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it then translates into the neighborhoods in which we work because we try to work very locally. Um, so we actually have people from the places that we're doing this work and the people who live there get to be a part of making that happen. So the cooperative notion goes beyond our ownership structure and into the communities uh, where we're cooperatively working together. So. Right, and then, and I assume you maybe... In- this is because it motivates people because when you, when you feel like you're a part of something, it's different than just working for a company where you're, you know, you don't have any ownership. It's a part of something you're doing, right? Yeah. It's, you know, the most companies rely on a strict hierarchy to be the thing that incentivizes growth and commitment. It's, I want to be paid more. I want to work harder. I want to do that. And this is a different model where, you know, we have a hierarchy, but the thing that really is incentivizing is uh, that you're an owner of this. Can you tell us what you see the importance of building standards on the industry and then, and maybe why you picked Passive House specifically a little more about that? I may have a, uh, a bit of a controversial personal stance on this okay. cool. <laughs> um, in that I actually don't think building standards should exist at all. Hmm. Um, I, I think what a, a building standard is doing um, is saying that we don't have to go all the way, this is how far we should go. Mm-hmm. But if we just set net zero, it doesn't need to be a standard, it is a quantified number. Is either you net, netted zero at the end of the year or you didn't. That's not a standard, it's just a, a, a fact on what your uh, the meter says. If we're pushing for net zero, this is my baseline theory of thinking about all of this, is um, I always wanna be comparing uh, having built some building versus not having built a building at all. Hmm. And if I hadn't built a building at all, we know what the impact would be. Nothing, right? If I build a building, almost every building that's built ever has a net negative impact. Mm-hmm. Either to the car- carbon net negative impact, maybe financial, maybe to the community, you know, social impacts, all sorts of different ways in which it can have a net negative impact. But almost all buildings, in the very least, have a net negative carbon impact. And it's not until we can have a net zero source energy building that we truly won't have a net negative impact on a carbon basis for buildings. And I'd say, if we zoom back to that building versus no building question, we have to be shooting for something better than having no building. <laughs> Otherwise, we ought to just stop doing the work we're doing if we are pretending to be in the, the world of making a better place and sustainability. So the standard can't be lower than net zero, in my my opinion. Or that's what we have to all be shooting for. Yeah, that's that's fascinating to me. Sorry, Chloe. I just one, one more point, because this speaks to me personally. So my by training, I am a chemist, right? And so in chemistry, I think chemistry is just the study of equilibrium, right? It's all about, and, and as a chemist, I see equilibria everywhere. And what motivates me in sustainability is that I believe that as a species, we can be in equilibrium with our environment, right? And even push the equilibrium 
have it come back the other way such that we're repairing the planet. And the idea that you're looking that for you, that metric is this passive house helps you think about, or even this do nothing versus do something to me, I hear, can we create something that doesn't upset the equilibria that was there in the first place to be? So yeah. I, I dig that a lot. Yeah, that's exactly it. All right, Chloe, I'll shut up for a while. I, <laughs> I, I, I hogged it for 15 minutes, so it's all, it's all you. Should I shut Sorry. up too? Chloe can just go at it. Yo, focus here. <laughs> um, but so my biggest question is, so you design principally homes. And do those ideas about energy standards and energy efficiency standards and building standards, do those transfer in your mind to um, low-income housing or... Uh, apartment buildings downtown or commercially mm-hmm. um, does it translate to affordable housing I, I think it is actually best placed in affordable housing um, it is the place at which if you can reduce um, operating energy and improve the uh, indoor air quality of a place for people who are underserved and have are more often in uh, spaces that make them sick, you can make a, a drastic impact. And I would argue that the impact actually would have a net positive um, economic impact too for health and livelihood and reduced costs on their side for energy. And the payback on that and operating energy, if someone actually was to quantify it, is very quick. We're seeing, you know, like seven to 10 year payback, which is. In a financial market, that's a good return on a, on a large investment like that. Really cool. Yeah. And so where are your projects that you finished? Where could I go drive by sometime on a lazy <laughs> yeah. Saturday yeah. and just see what it looks like? You mean bike by, Chloe? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have a hybrid. I can, I can be. <laughs> um, they're very nearby um, and mostly in the Fort Hill neighborhood. And we've worked a lot with the... Um, project review committees in the neighborhoods here did an awesome renovation of the Hawthorne Youth and Community Center which is where the project review committee meets and so it's sort of to prove hey we can do this for a nonprofit with a small budget we can even do it here where we can create this uh, passive house building um, so that way not just us but whenever anybody wants to come propose a project they'll be standing in one that is is done this way. We do things like pie days where we'll, <laughs> we invite folks uh, to the job site and we make pie and we eat it together and we do other things uh, like our in-house festivals. When we're half built a house, we invite the community in and we have artists show their work in our projects. That's awesome. Um, so it's it's not just community meetings like you would as an architecture firm. It's mm-hmm. community engagement beyond that. We're not a nonprofit focused on affordable housing credits. What we want to do is create a business model that allows for us to make housing that's affordable versus affordable housing, because hmm. then we get to control what the constraints are. And yes, it's great to put to put roofs over people's houses, and that's what affordable housing has done. I'm interested in this slightly different question of how do we help the people who are in poverty in many cases um, purchase something or live in a place such that they actually can gain wealth themselves and... Uh, know if you will pick them up that pick themselves up by their bootstraps you know and um and i don't see the affordable housing system doing a great job at doing that um so 
you explained a very interesting kind of journey to becoming owner of this of this company. Did you envision yourself as owning a company before you joined Place Taylor? Like, what was that? Because that's a lot of responsibility. There's a lot of things that need to happen mentally and, and um, you know, maturity that needs to happen, I think, probably before you'd say, okay, I can do this. Can you talk about, like, that, that journey for you, or were you just always certain you wanted to own and operate a business like this? Really, from the very beginning, even right before I worked with Place Taylor, I had a vision in my head that I would, once I decided, oh, I really like this, I want to run a architecture construction company that works on sustainability. Like that was what I thought. Um, and then I had no idea I would find Place Taylor uh, very soon after. And then I had no idea that only a few years later I would be the owner of it. Um, but I think mentally I was, I knew that's where I was going. Um, what I definitely didn't expect was that I would already be the owner of the business before I even graduated. So I was mm. still in school when wow. I purchased the business and took over. Um, and that was a crazy couple of years of finishing school <laughs> of, you know, running a business, learning how to run a business, running a business, and then going to school full time. Um, it was some long, long days, you know, and, um, but I knew it was going to be worth it coming out the other end. Learning to run a business. How did you learn to run a business? Were there resources? That's exactly you, my question. Did, were there resources you used or did you just figure it out as you were going? The internet is is really our best friend and it's so underutilized it blows my mind uh you can learn more just sitting down with a committed focus of doing research by uh a by looking at whatever the resources you can find than pretty much any other way of learning i'm convinced of it and i would say for our listeners those those traits that declan mentioned are highly um both required and, and uh, common among founders at startups um, is just avid use of the internet <laughs> and learning quickly and teaching yourself how to do things that you don't know. And I would even add to that, I, I actually think in my case, and I would guess this is the case with a lot of founders too, um, the level of naivete that I had was so helpful (laughs) in that I got, I've never built a building that isn't a high performance building. I didn't have to unlearn that. Um, Mm. just as I didn't have to unlearn a structure that was just based in a hierarchy that put down the people at the bottom of the chain. I've only ever uh, had the opportunity to work in a business that was structured the way in which our, our vision and our morals align with. And, I think it can be difficult for founders who have experienced one thing for a long time and have to undo that because um, we learn pattern. We're habitual people. We, we learn those patterns. And um, just like it is hard to learn, unlearn any pattern, it is definitely in a business when it gets entrenched. Sure. So one of the other topics that we like to hit on is uh, how, do, how do founders and how do startups find good talent? In terms of the higher level management positions, it has been... Uh, knowing people who knew people who maybe know someone who has a connection to this person who would be great, you know, and we work our way through that. So that's a matter of networking on both ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then one of the problems that we have, we both seen and uh, talked about a fair bit um, with using your networks, that can lead to compounding diversity factor. Yeah. So how do you, do you address that here at Place Taylor? Um, and if so, how do you try to attract different types of people? Yeah. Uh, 
we we definitely think about it, talk about it, and I don't feel like we do it well enough. Um, we've thought a lot about it before. It depends on the type of diversity you're looking for, but you know, let's take for instance uh, the racial diversity. We we come up against that question in a lot of different places in our business. Um, one of which is uh, hiring. One that we come up across even more regularly is in the sale of our units. The people who, I mean, I have a long list of, to put it bluntly, white middle class people who want to buy our houses. Like, it fits what they want to, their identity to be. And that's how we market. We're marketing and branding such that we're selling someone the identity that they want to have. Um, and that doesn't necessarily align with the, the historical truths about a lot of the other um, economic or racial statuses that people are coming from. And though the reason I say I feel like we're not doing it well enough on our <laughs> business side is I feel like if we were better at it on the business side, we would have a better chance at being good at it on the other side hmm. of sales and clients because those networks would be different and diversified from ours. One of my personal issues that I don't know how to address and I would like to address is I have consistently lived on the gentrification line. Yeah. It's what I can afford yeah. <laughs> and it tends to be close to my workplace. Mm-hmm. and. That sounds a little bit yeah, like totally. where you've been building your buildings. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you have um, any tips for somebody like me yeah. um, who knows that they're part of the problem and doesn't know how to stop being yeah. part of the problem. Yeah. This is about whether the place you're going to live, whether you're actually committed to being a part of that place or not. Gentrification, the issues of gentrification come from people living in a place and not connecting to the people who are there. The issues would not exist if you lived somewhere and you connected to your neighbors and the people who live there. Mm. It just wouldn't because we care about people actually. We are in, generally as humans, we actually care about people, but our lives have created such conditions that we don't actually see the people of which we, where we live. And so it becomes just an economic conversation. If we could get beyond it being just an economic conversation and into an interrelational conversation, we start to change the paradigm. What we'll start to see is the distribution of wealth changing very quickly, because what that will relate to is the person who wants to start that uh, jerk chicken shop on the corner is going to get support by the neighbors who can afford it now to help them invest in the jerk chicken shop such that they're going to build that business. And then those people will come who have the money to buy jerk chicken and they're going to buy the jerk chicken working and and only looking at the residential side of gentrification, which is where gentrification gets looked at, is is, is less than half of the equation. And all of these these thoughts of mine are being formulated through having talked to the communities there. And that that's why it feels, you know, I struggle with it too. Like, sometimes I feel like I'm not doing the right work. I should just, I could sell the product that we're selling way better if I just went to a neighborhood where, you know, I could, put the price as high as I want to put the price and sell it, you know, because they want their identity to look like it is. The same guy who bought the Tesla goes and buys our passive house in, you know, whatever neighborhood. Um, But I'm interested in pushing our own business and all businesses such that we can say, um, no, we're not going to ignore the the wealth gaps and the uh, injustice of inequality. We're going to keep building buildings until we can crack the nut such that I can actually build a, a housing that's affordable, that costs the same as everything else, uses less energy, has higher quality indoor air, and is a nicer space architecturally. We're not going to crack the nut with the same businesses we have now. And so the actual work and innovation behind Place Taylor 
is in the business model of architecture, construction, real estate development. It allows us to do buildings that are different than everyone else. So, sorry, I went on there. You, no, you no. got one. You hit me. That, was, that yeah. was great. Thank you. Yeah, quite <laughs> really a, appreciate that. Way to blow my questions out of the water, <laughs> Chloe. Jeez. All right. Um, so I wanted to just dig a little more, if you think there's more to explore here, on your your personal motivations for working at a place like Place Terror. Like, why is this project and, and this business important to you personally? It's mm. a good one. So it's related to this this impact question that we talked about is, is largely it for me, is I've yet to find another business that drives itself so much on its vision and mission in this industry. Um, and partly it's because I was part of the strategic direction of making it that way. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm passionate about it because I think most of the things we do day to day have that net negative impact. And I, I, truth, I live with a guilt in me that says if I do not do the work to try to undo that or solve that, I'll never feel satisfied and I will feel that at the end of whatever my time is here on this planet, I've not actually done a positive service. And some people look at the work we do and say, how could you possibly say that? You're like the most energy efficient buildings and like you do good community work. And I say, we're not even close. We are not even close, which means that everyone else is really far away. <laughs> right. And uh, someone's got to set that bar. And so I, I know that that's not the work of a person, that's the work of a team, and so that's where the, the, the team of the community, the team of uh, the people in place, Taylor, comes from. And, and it's really easy, I think, to see that things can be better when at the core of the business is the question or, or the idea that you should question everything. And uh, even small businesses can, which I think is what's often overlooked, is I think we rely on the Elon Musks of the world to say, okay, well, he made all this billions of dollars. He's the one that can solve it. Well, sure he can, but he doesn't care about the Fort Hill neighborhood. Um, he never will. He can't. That's not what his job is. So um, I think it's going to take more, this was back to some other question, more of these smaller um, companies doing that. And for me and much of our team, we have visions of other types of ways in which we can move the business. and. Sure. Um, that's exciting too to have collective control over where we go and what we do. Nice. So. Where do you want to go in the future? How do you want to expand if you want to stay local and grassroots? Um, one of my core projects right now, which I'm excited about and hopefully we'll see come to fruition soon, is to extrapolate a lot of what we're thinking about and this the systemic issues we've got. And it's a it's a project which is being. Uh, sponsored, if you will, through Place Taylor, but it's it's a personal project of mine that I'm carrying through, which is called Co-Everything. Um, and it's taking the idea that we, um, we have what we need, uh, basic humans, uh, our shelter, food, energy, and community, and can we be doing real estate development as a concept or construct that can provide all of those things with a net positive impact? So net positive uh, energy in their buildings, uh, quality um, housing and indoor environment um, community, so potentially cooperatively owned villages, as I'm calling them. Um, and then can we be providing all of the food in the location that the house is? And so this is that's where we're that's where we're headed is let's create a, a hyper localized system that 
exists the way we want it to exist. And we've tried this before with the Back to the Land movement, but it wasn't utilizing technology. And so we're interested in finding the space between uh, what tech and clean tech can do and translating it into our most basic needs as people and uh, essentially selling people the way of life that they want to have, which you don't, you can't do right now. There's not a place you can go and move and have all of those things happen where you don't rely on systems of agriculture or systems of energy or systems of housing you don't want to be a part of. And we're interested in flipping that on its head. Once you own land, it used to be the case that you could do all of the things that you wanted to do with that land. That's not how it works right now. We can go back to that, utilizing uh, technology and maintaining some of the comforts of life. So that's that's where we're headed. Um, it's an exciting project. It's you know fairly early phase, but a lot of the sort of research pieces and are, are in place to to kick it off. So cool. Yeah. That's really exciting. Yeah. Thanks. All right. All right. You ready to take it away, Chloe? So in the show notes, you will find more uh, information about Place Taylor and Declan. Um, thank you, Declan, so much for joining us this morning. Mm, thank thank you, you very much. Early yeah. Sunday morning. Um, and if you would like to support the show, please tell a friend, tweet about us, uh, find us on iTunes or SoundCloud. Um, as Chance the Rapper so thoroughly advertises. Um, <laughs> he advertises our show? No, he advertises That's SoundCloud. That's great. SoundCloud I think is Boston Calling is coming I, up. Maybe we'll oh. get him to give us a shout out. Ooh. <laughs> I we'll, we'll tweet at we'll, we'll tweet at him. I will tweet at him. I've tweeted him several times actually. <laughs> has, he, has he ever tweeted back to you? No, but I'm hopeful. <laughs> it's a goal of mine. <laughs> right, cool. Tweet at him about our our podcast. Yes, and um, so for if you give us a five star review, do you have one? I have one. I I do have one. Okay, then you go. Um, we were talking about improv before this, and so if you give us a five-star review, please leave us a note about what you would like me and Joe to improv. Okay. It can be a, a skit. It can be a, a game. Situation, you, yeah. Right. Whatever you want, and we'll post it on the internet. <laughs> yep. When we start getting these requests, feel free to reach out with these guys. We're keeping our eyes on the, uh, the five-star reviews. If you respond to any of these, you'll see it up on Instagram soon. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had a, and Declan, I wanted to give you a second. Um, is there anything you wanted to plug? And in particular, if people are interested in coming to these pie events or seeing buildings, like can they sign up or where should they go or what? If you go to our website, you can sign up there. There's a bunch of check boxes that say why you care about us and what you want to get. Um, click on one of those and you'll hear from me directly. That's how that works. Um, and otherwise, you can just go to our website, placetaylor.com, read about us, watch some of the fun little videos. Um, you can also find us on um, Instagram and Twitter, at placetaylor. To get in touch, please visit us at talkcleanpodcast.com or tweet at us at talkcleanpod. Um, it's also our Insta handle as well. Right? Correct. Yep. And, uh, and yeah, so thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been a lot of fun, Declan. Thank yeah. you very much. Hope and, to hear from you soon. Uh, yeah. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. We have not, I don't think, intentionally overlaid Pi Day with Pi Day. What? Crazy. Sorry. Sorry.